Um, all right, welcome guys uh, to Origin Stories episode two. So I'm here with Josh Farr today. So I'll get him to quickly introduce himself. Cool. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name's Josh Farr. I founded a business called Campus Consultancy two years ago. At the moment, my mission and really my purpose is to empower a generation of emotionally intelligent leaders. So what I want is whether they're at university or out in the workforce, for people who are going out trying to make a change, to do so in a way that is really founded in empathy, it's founded in self-awareness, um, and it's founded in making an impact that they truly believe in. So I'm really passionate about people finding work that aligns with their values and that whole process. Yeah, cool. Awesome. All right. Well, um, because as origin story, let's start off with the start. So where did you, where were you prior to uh, you starting the campus consultancy? Where, where was, yeah. what was life like? Yeah, definitely. So if I can go back to maybe... If I go back to university, it probably makes more sense if that's cool. So when I went to university, I did civil engineering. I jumped through all the hoops. I really like I went in, I tried to get good grades, and I got scholarships, and I did internships. I counted the other day, I did eight volunteering roles and three part-time jobs before I got a second of industry experience. And so like I did a lot of things. And when I eventually got that job in industry, big job, big company, like everything looked good from the outside, but I was just like really unhappy. Um, and not, not at the company's fault, like the company's the company. Like I chose to go into that position, it was totally on me, but I didn't really know who I was. I was like 21, 22, had never really sat back and thought like, oh, what do I kind of believe in? What do I want to do? What impact do I want to make? All that sort of stuff. And when I was working as an engineer, I just realized like, I don't think this was the right thing for me. Um, and then decided to leave, travel for two years. And then while I was overseas, had a lot of time to think which was good. Came back to Australia and worked in nonprofits for a couple of years. I sort of, all right, I've spent two years gallivanting around Europe, time to sort of do some good. Uh, loved that and then realized I, I didn't think the nonprofit was quite a right fit. Um, I saw myself becoming a little bit ideological and honestly like a little bit judgy. Had a good friend one night out at dinner. I've never really talked about this. And he sort of sat down. He was like, you're a bit judgmental, you know? And I was like, <laughs> it's so true. Because I, I, was, I was so quick to find the flaws in others that I saw in myself and then say, you shouldn't do that anymore. And you know, the whole one finger out, three pointing back at you. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna not sit on the ideology. And so I'm gonna go out and see if I can actually create something from scratch that works in the real economy as a business, but also does good. And so that, those are the kind of paradigms that's challenging. Yeah, great. And so I guess, was that the incident that really sparked it or was there anything else that made you go, okay, no, today's the day. Yeah. So when I was working as an engineer, yeah. the, the, probably the biggest moment for me, there was a young guy on the site and I really need to find his name. Um, I always talk about him anonymously, so maybe that's even better. But a young guy, 19 or 20, and actually took his own life on the construction site. And so where we were working, there was, it was a predominantly male workforce, not exclusively, but heavily in the construction industry. And there wasn't a lot of talk about self-care. Like the standard smoko break at 9.30 in the morning was like a meat pie, a Mars bar, and like a can of Coke. You know, so like, yeah, I, and what I realized was surrounded by all these guys predominantly, but also also um, women in the workforce um, who honestly seem to have a much better grip. Like I worked with a lot of women who were engaged or had um, young families. And when like, the once I worked with them in a really good place, but I really saw it in the men. I really saw it in the men. And they were oh, like awesome dudes who were just fragile and would open up when you gave them the chance. But the environment, the way they behaved in the environment was very much um, very defensive, very much keeping face with the boys. Uh, there was a very rigid sort of hierarchy. 
um, and a whole bunch of incentives to support that. And when this young guy took his own life, we a, a group came in called Mates in Construction. And their whole concept was run mental health training um, for people in the construction industry um, just to have that conversation. And when they did, I realized they went through a whole bunch of frameworks. Um, one I've since found out was the seventh habit in Stephen Covey's seven habit of highly effective people. But they used it as like the four buckets of energy. And they have this little graphic that said like, okay, where are your four bus buckets? Physical, uh, emotional, mental, and spiritual. And when I went through those four buckets, I was like, all right, zero to 10, put a ranking on these buckets. And I remember when I filled it out, my emotional bucket was like a three or four. It was just low. Uh, and what I realized was around all these people who, who weren't quite a lot of money, but they're working long hours, some traveling hours from their family, their relationships are starting to crack. The divorce rate was really high in that industry too. Um, physically, they're unhealthy. Spiritually, that wasn't even really a conversation uh, that I was part of. So I just sort of looked around and went like, okay, this getting paid a lot of money to be with a big company on a glorious job looks good, sounds good, but the experience of it wasn't so good. Um, and I, I, didn't have the, I didn't have the emotional intelligence at the time to realize like where I could have made it better. Um, so I did the training and then did the next level up to be fair and put the sticker on the helmet, hard hat that was like, come and talk to me if you've ever got problems. Um, and some guys did, which was awesome. Uh, but I just realized like, okay, I don't think this is the environment that I'll be able to do the self-discovery that I think I needed to do. Yeah. And just staying on that for a bit, um, now that you've gone through this career that you've gone through and you've learned all the things that you have, yeah. how would you look at that situation differently? Is there things that you've learned now that you think you could apply that may have, or, or that you can apply to that industry maybe to try help? those sort of things yeah it's a really really good question i think about it a lot and even as i'm sort of speaking through it i'm constantly reflecting on like oh what was my role in that situation um i we split test life my best friend and i at the time who i worked with uh his name's mike he's amazing just like one of the youngest dudes in the company ever to get where he got like loves it breathes it hyper intelligent like just he's on another level and we split it because we both went through this course together and the two of us went up to the next level of this mental health thing. He stayed in the company and I left. And so it's been a really interesting comparison of like, you know, when I was backpacking for two years, his financial wealth significantly outranked mine. Um, <laughs> and look, not that that's necessarily changed. And, but when he stayed in, he was really challenging kind of like paradigms from the inside. Um, in a lot of ways, he's been able to make some impact. But that's been a really interesting dialogue between the two of us of like how far out does that ripple effect go? Um, and the idea of like, yeah, you know, you drop a pebble and it ripples all the way out. Like sometimes that ripple doesn't hit the shoreline. Like sometimes that rock isn't big enough or it's just too far. Um, and so my thing here at the time, and my belief still is that um, if you want to change company culture, it's got to come from the top. And if, speaking more in generality now rather than this specific company, if a company is driven, nothing against making profits, I think it's awesome. But if a company is, is driven by profits and delivering shareholder value, there's a really interesting, like even to call yourself an LLC, to say you have limited liability, there's something not quite hands on the heart about that you know like it's safe and responsible and i understand it enough to know kind of where it comes from um but looking back on that i sort of thought no this isn't the place that that i can really see myself making a value adding value and maybe one other thought on that one thing i learned when i was traveling which i didn't have at the time but and hopefully not too much of a confirmation bias was 
I wanted to do a job that no one else was lining up to do. So I didn't, with the second I left engineering, thousands of people were there to replace me. And I went to this thing at University of Melbourne and they were promoting their, you know, grad masters of engineering. And they said, for every engineer who graduates, 1,400 people apply for every one position posted on, I think it was like Seek or something, 1,400. So I'm like, if I go, I'm like, the company's going to be fine. Yeah. Which yeah. is a big dose of humility too, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Like someone's going to replace Just a number. Me. <laughs> a number. Yeah. And yeah, you know, like you perform in the workplace and they pay you and they keep good people and like I fully believe in that. But the flip side of that reality is if you leave, you're replaceable and I wanted to do something that there wasn't someone else already doing it. I wanted to do something different. Yeah, cool. And so how did that, I guess, what's that link from going from that engineering uh, role that you're in to university students which is predominantly where you are at the moment yep. right yep so we yep. had where's that link how did you fall into there where'd you how'd you find that niche? yeah yeah so the self-discovery of traveling was a big was a big part and sort of sitting, spending a lot of time realizing like oh, okay i need to help other people in order to you know um when i came back to australia and i was working in non-profits i was actually working in recruitment so i did something totally different never worked in non-profits never lived in victoria never worked in education, um, didn't go to school here or understand the universities. All of a sudden it was like, you're the Victorian recruitment manager. You know, it's like go around all the unis and like find good talent. And so I'm a really big believer in like positive constraints. When someone's like, do this thing that's outside of your skill set. Like, cool, okay. Like I can only do this, I can't do this. Here's my like frame that I can work within. But like what experiences can I bring in from the outside? So when I went to do recruitment, I went back to kind of what I knew, which was finding great students that had leadership potential. And where I looked for them was all the clubs and societies. So if you're an engineering club or an accounting club or a Bitcoin club or an esports club, um, I thought, well, these are the students who their academics are good enough that they're putting their time to other things, but they're also self-aware and self-starters enough that they're sort of stepping up. And in that kind of interplay between they've got the academics to get over the line, but they've also got this like personality and flair. Um, I started looking around, working with lots of these clubs and then realized in lots of those clubs from an engineering point of view that oh, we have lots of the same problems everywhere. Like it's the same concept that like students are all leaders, but no one's ever taught them how to be a leader. You know, I ran a workshop today. I had a guy sitting in the front row, awesome young dude, wants to start a business. And one of the goals he set was to like read a book about leadership. Because I was talking about this and I was like, you know, like leaders are readers and all that sort of stuff. And he's like, oh, I've not, I've never read a book about it before. I'm like, man, that's awesome. Like, what would you do about that? He's like, I think I might read a book. I'm like, awesome. When by? He's like, I reckon I could read one within a month. Like, wicked. I actually recommended um, Legacy to him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right, which yeah. we both recently yeah, read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Um, great source material, you know, references so many good things. Um, and an easy read. And he was like, cool, I'm going to do that. And I was like, the thing about this is, like, you don't know what you don't know. So for him, if he reads that book and then like stumbles upon, he's like, oh, what's, who's Daniel Kahneman? Or he's like, what's man's search for meaning? You know, or if he goes and looks into like all these quotes or who's Nietzsche or who's, and like that just opens a whole world. And so that self-awareness of like simultaneously being like, oh, I don't know anything, but also it's like, I could learn it all. There's just such a fun thing there. So finding students who were already on that kind of leadership journey made me realize there were lots of problems. So the engineer in me was happy. But then when I realized like, oh, so much of leadership psychology and like mindset, that satisfied the more like empathetic side of me that was like, oh, cool. I could go in with a different angle. Like I don't want to do 
you know, I don't want to increase your productivity. I want you to figure out like what you should be focusing on in the first place. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Okay. Yeah. And then so as you discovered that, yes, and you kick-started, what, um, what fears did you have around giving up full-time jobs, I'm supposing that you had yep, and all yep. that? What was the biggest fears that you had going into that starting uh, campus consultancy? Such a good question. I really went up against like just doubt in yourself um, and doubt, like as an engineer, I was like, okay, what is the like, what's the like perceived risk? What's the like likely, most likely outcome or whatever it is, probability times whatever. And as I started reading the reports, it's like, all right, 90% of people never start a business. I'm like, great. 90% of people who do start a business fail. I'm like, this is not getting any better, you know? <laughs> yeah. I was like, all right. Um, and then like a little bit of me was like, oh, I want to be in that, you know? I want to be the one who, who does work for. Um, but I think it was just the... The unknown was both really exciting but really terrifying at the same time. Um, and I guess, what, okay, so what was, what was a fear? I mean, maybe the most obvious one, like it wasn't going to work. Yeah. Like what if this doesn't work? Yeah. What if I leave this job? And because you've got to kind of announce it, you yeah, know? Yeah, like exactly. I'm now this. <laughs> so like it's on LinkedIn and I noticed like over the like year, because from August 2017 until July 2018, I did it on top of a full-time job. So I went home at night and I sort of like worked the weekends and did some night school stuff and built it up. And I noticed like on my LinkedIn, like a couple months in, I like added it to my LinkedIn <laughs> and like don't share with network. And then I'd like move it into my headline. I was like, recruitment manager, TEDx, whatever, Canvas consultancy. And then like, as I got closer and closer, I'd like move it more up through my headline until at the start, it was like at the start of my headline. And I actually had this really awesome moment with, um, another a podcast of Ruby Lee. She's just beautiful and amazing and just as a spirit, she's brilliant. And she said to me, she had this great piece of advice, which was like, I had it on there as, um, oh, what did I have it on there? I think I had it as something weird, like head of growth, which I'd taken from um, the guys who started Weeploy. One of their co-founders had something around like head of growth. Cause I was like, that's, you know, that's the ethos about this is growing and it's developing. And her advice was like, do you want to be known as a head of growth? And I was like, not really. Like I started this business. She's like, you're taking all the risk. Might as well use the word. And I'm like, she's like, you founded this business. You're a founder. And I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. Um, and she was like, whatever you want to be known as in a year, if that's true and authentic to you, like put that in your headline. And I was like, yeah, but I like have a full-time job. And like, you know, my first, you know, eight or nine months in business, like I didn't, I like lost money net, you know? because you got to start a business and whatever. And fortunately that's changed. But at the time I was like, well, I can't put founder first because that's not my job. She was like, where's the rule written that you need to have the thing that makes the most money as who you are. And I was just like, <laughs> yeah, you know? it's yeah. so huge. But yeah. like, I think even with this, like if you're a full-time teacher, but you love planting hydrangeas and selling them at the market, you can be a florist slash teacher. Yeah. Like that a whole idea of like, you have to be the thing that earns all your money. It's like, why? Why? Because, and it, the title, I think that's a, a middle step to the title actually means nothing. But in this world where the first question you ask anyone at a bar or a party or a networking event is like, what do you do? Yeah. People just answer with their job title. Yeah. And it's like, what does that mean? Yeah. Versus saying like, this is what I'm passionate about. Like I'm not even working. I haven't even started, but I've got this idea. I'd love one day to work in like restoring old cars. I'd so much rather talk to like Johnny who wants to fix an old car in three years than like 
Samuel, who's a third-year accountant <laughs> at EY, like, you know? Exactly, yeah, yeah. If he's fizzing off EY and that's the best company in the world, I'm like, awesome, tell me what's great about your job. But it's like, if you like something else, go for it. Uh, and I, I guess that, that was my transition of going, it might not work. Who am I to say I'm starting a business? Um, and nothing was like, will people like be negative? Because you hear a lot of like, people post negative comments. I think I had one negative comment ever and I posted it in a forum and I'm like, look guys, like I got a negative comment, like badge of honor. And the person wrote back and they were like, someone commented on my comment and was like, dude, was that actually negative? And the comment was, I got no value from this. And that was an unlock. I was like, I saw that as such a like, yeah. I saw I got no value as Josh, you are not worthy. Yeah, okay, yeah. And I, as soon as I had that realization, I was like, huh, like, my job is to add value to them. And if they say they don't have add value, I should be saying like, thank you. Like, what can I do? And so now a lot more of the content is like, I'm going to LinkedIn now that there's some followers and saying like, what do you guys want? Like, thanks for seeing all my updates and stuff. Like, what do you want me to do? And the other day we like crowdsourced this whole like LinkedIn live curriculum. People were just like, oh, we want time management. We want this, we want that. I'm like, sweet, I'll I'll do that. Yeah. Yeah, so it's this weird like, it's that balance between, I think, confidence not turning into ego yeah. and humility not turning into weakness or self-doubt yeah. and them becoming virtues rather than kind of undermining you. Yeah. But, like, it's a daily struggle, I reckon. Yeah. Still work through it. And I just go back there mm. because um, there's not a lot of fear what was the feeling when you were slowly putting the time on? What was that effect? Yeah, uh, probably the same. Probably the same stuff. Learning to what's the expression? Learning to like crawl before I run, sort of thing. You know, like baby steps. Um, but also, I think the to look for the virtue in it. I was, I was trying to be really patient. I was trying to go like, I don't need this to be anything. Yeah. Particularly when I had a full time job. Like in a lot of ways, it was way safer then. Yeah which is the comfort, right? Like uh, the Vygotsky thing of like, you're in your safe zone and you don't learn there. Um, And maybe that's a good way to think about it. It's kind of like safe zone, danger zone, and this learning zone in the middle. And like ego and self-doubt are over there. They're not good. Um, Maybe self-doubt's over here and ego's over there. That's probably more accurate. And somewhere there's this sweet spot, Goldilocks sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to think about it for me. Um, <laughs> still talk to think. Uh, and so as I was moving it up, it was, I was conscious to like, it was, what's a metaphor? It's like if you're going to give a baby milk, it's like, like you heat it up a little, you know, just like throw it on the stove for five minutes and go like, it's hot now. You know, it's a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And then here it is. Um, whereas I think sometimes, especially in like the freelance or startup or entrepreneurship world, we can glorify burning the boats which I think is a great strategy for some things but sometimes it can be risky it's like the only problem with burning the boats is if you're on the wrong island you're stuck there you know it's like now what you know versus for me it was moving it up incrementally just my own tolerance to risk too yeah yeah all right. And so uh, you talked about your friend, uh, the other podcaster, mm. uh, being a bit of a mentor there at that point. Yeah. Was there anyone else who played a, a pivotal role in that early stages as a mentor and helping you transition into that full time? Totally, totally. Like an engineer, I just broke down like, okay, what are the bits of business? How does one do 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 business? You know, I kind of like chunked it down. I was like, all right, there's 
there's obviously the mindset was a big bit. There was just the baseline strategy in the books and what do you need to know. There was the sort of role modeling, like peer connection stuff. Um, there was sales, which is obviously a part of it. Nothing will help you learn about yourself, I reckon, more than like selling yourself, like honestly and authentically. Um, that was a big part. And I think there's something else, but it doesn't matter. But, and so across those, like I, I worked with this wonderful lady, Ruby, on some of the mindset. Uh, I did this program called Startup Leadership Program. Yeah. A guy named Grant runs in Melbourne. Absolutely amazing. Like that was what I, I just referred to as night school. Yeah. Three hours a week for six months, a Thursday night, I'd go after work and just sort of work through modules. Yeah. Awesome. He's amazing, such a mentor. Uh, and just book this. Like I went back in this year and like Skyped in from Perth yeah. to a session. And they're like, any advice to the class? I'm like, if Grant mentions a book, go buy it, read it. Like, it's gold. Like, gold, gold, gold. Uh, so he was amazing. And then I paired up with this guy, um, Hamasha, and another guy, Troy, and one more named guy, which is hilarious. Yeah. Now also has a podcast. To really go through sort of like sales. And I wanted people who were at a similar-ish level to me, but at like noticeably ahead. Like had a business or were turning revenue and left their full-time job. Um, so I sort of built this group who were more specialist in marketing and sales. Uh, and then I went to them every couple of weeks at the early stages uh, with my marketing and sales kind of questions. It's like, how do I price something? How do I, you know, should I be on Facebook? What platforms? All the st standard stuff. But it was nice to hear it from someone who was not in a totally different situation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And also finding people who had shared values too. Because a lot of some of the advice I took that now in hindsight I'd never tell anyone again. Um, and not that there was anything wrong with it. I was just like, mm, I don't want that to be a part of like a strategy. Uh, versus things that I didn't do that I'm like, ah, oh, if I would have done that six months earlier, I would have saved a whole lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So now that you're in there, um, what did your day look like? When you first started out, you'd quit your other job. Oh, this is funny. You're straight in there. What was it? It's the best thing. So you like you leave your job, you wake up the next day. Luckily, I did my first ever day as like a pro bono gig, which was really nice, going out to the country, giving a talk, um, which like, I grew up in the country, so that was quite nice to kind of like start off that way. Uh, but the second day, I think I'm pretty sure it was a Tuesday, which makes sense. Uh, it's the funniest thing. Like you, you're like, all right, I'm going to do some work today and you open up your laptop and go to your emails and like refresh and like all right there's no emails here <laughs> what does one do you know um and so a <laughs> little bit tongue-in-cheek like there's obviously a little bit of strategy but that was really funny to go and that was a big thing like oh if i want like meetings like i have to i have to you know get the meetings it was really funny so i became really aware of particularly starting it all off solo it was like okay there's stages to a business from like meeting people to figuring out if that might be a women relationship to like figuring out contracts to delivering the work and the full life cycle. But each stage has very intentional actions. And so what I learned to do was like, okay, I might need to meet or talk to or whatever, interview this many people for customer research or whatever it is. Um, and because I have different customers and users too. So I'm constantly interviewing students like I did one yesterday just to figure out like what do they want, what do they need. So whenever I meet with universities who are B2B clients, um, I can say, okay, well, the word on the street is this is what they want. Um, you know what I mean? So just figuring out there were very distinct stages and that you couldn't miss one. And you couldn't like, and even the, the afterwards, like if you go and I think what a lot of people, sorry, I just, first person, what I messed up a little bit at the start was I have a meeting with someone and they're like, yeah, awesome. We're going to do it. And I'd be like, 
cool. And then like three weeks later, I'd be like, oh, they said they were going to do that and they haven't got back to me. And I wasn't relationship managing that very well. Um, so I learned to, uh, my old uh, manager at Teacher Australia was always on me about this, like manage your leads and be on top of it. I'm like, it's fine. You know, just like not, was not fine at all. Uh, and I message it every now and again. I'm like, hey, Liz, you know, I've got this many leads and I actually spoke to this many. And she's like, good work. You know, <laughs> slowly learning. Um, yeah, I just learned to like do that follow up and track it all in every interaction. Now I have a big sheet and I like track it all in there. Um, and then, and that's been really helpful because then I can, I can remember the little details and I'm much more on it. It's all proactive rather than reactive. Nothing's worse than like, I, I always feel like I've dropped the ball when someone says to me, hey, Josh, like it's a Monday. We'll meet on a Monday. Hey, Josh, by the end of next week, I'm going to get back to you with a date and what we'd like. If I don't write back to them like the Monday after or that, not necessarily that Friday because I never want to rush people. But if I'm not onto them that Monday or Tuesday, say, hey, like really appreciate that you said you'd get back to me in two weeks. Just want to check in, see if everything's all right. Like what's going on? Do you need more information? Did, was there anything I said on the phone that I didn't send to you? And so many times people have come back and gone, oh, it totally slipped my mind. We're stoked about this. Yeah, yeah, let's do it on this date. Like it, it's never been, it's not like a hard sell. They're just like, people forget stuff. Yeah. Because we forget stuff. People are busy, you know? So just being on top of that and then they're like, oh, that was really thorough. I really appreciate you following up. Like, and I screenshot those little messages anonymously and save them on my computer just as like good practice, like the business case of what I'm doing. Like this is how to, you know, engineer it just enough that it's, it's still all about pers like personal relationships, but it's intentional and it's structured and because I, I don't necessarily value certainty super high. Like I like the new different constantly, which is baked into the business. Um, but yeah, if I was to follow up and I've done it, like I just sent a message the last Friday, exactly like this. Josh, I'll get back to you by the end of next week. And then like three and a half weeks later, I was like, oh, they didn't get back to me because I was really busy. And I was like, ah, oh. and then when I followed up, I was like, oh, because then it reads as, oh, you didn't notice until a week after we said we'd get back to you, which is really interesting. And it's like, I've just chosen to take 100% responsibility for that. But then I still think the authenticity of saying, hey, like I've just been, I've been, I've been doing a lot of stuff. I dropped the ball on this. How are you going with it? Can I help out? And they get back to you and they're like, yeah, here's what we need. I'm like, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, I was going to ask actually, uh, being an engineer and having that sort of uh, mentality that engineers do, yeah. when you talk about um, when you're starting out and you had your day-to-day did you have to build habits or did you take it a bit, did you freestyle a bit more or, or did you do one way to start with and has that evolved? Yeah. So a really practical thing I use is Google Calendar, which I'm all about. Uh, I have a colleague at RMIT. She's awesome. And she's on me because she uses Apple Calendar and she's, and Apples for Apples, it looks, Apples for Apples, looks just the same. So shout out to Steph for that. But I use Google Calendar primarily because it syncs on my phone. I can use different color codes for everything. And the most valuable part of it is it's quantifiable. So I use different color codes for when I'm presenting workshops, when I'm having meetings, when I'm doing prep, when I'm designing them, when I'm just giving, doing pro bono stuff, uh, when I'm traveling. And at the end of a week or the end of a month, I do it weekly now, I'll sit down and look at my calendar, do the post game and say, okay, how many hours did I spend doing A, B, and C? And then go, was I happy with that week? And if like, there's a bit of a gut feeling, yeah, that was a good week. But now even more so, I can sit down and say, okay, I had, if it's a big week where I'm meeting like potential unis, I met seven unis this week. So that's an hour each per meeting, okay? And 
customer acquisition cost stuff, right? I can go, okay, well, I met with seven or eight, I met with seven unis and five of them were really, really keen to do something this year. Awesome. And the average, you know, financial return on, on those sort of contracts is this. And what I've been really blown away with is actually just how lean it can be. And that what I want to do even more of is investing even more time in preparing for those meetings and really valuing um, the time that I'm being given um, just because of how, how much of it in a B2B world is, comes down to a single decision maker a lot of the time. Um, I always want to show up and be fully authentic and present and all that sort of stuff. Um, but by mapping out all my hours, I can actually say, okay, before that meeting, I'm just going to have an hour to think. Just sit there and go, okay, this is like normally, this is what they've asked for, this is what we do, got all the documents, fine. But like, what else could we do together? Because there's something cool and new. Or like, I'll, I'll jump on their LinkedIn, I'll look up some of their notable alumni and just see where they've gone. I'm like, oh, that'd be a really cool person to bring back. Like, I wonder if we could get them to speak at the lunchtime panel. And then because so few people will put in those little touches when you sit down with someone they're like cool like what else could you do i'm like and i'm like i don't know yet like let's figure it out and it's like it's very much like i'm just showing them like this is this is where i'm kind of going with it um so when i look at the calendar and building those habits having like the drucker quote of you can't manage what you don't measure that's just i just believe in that so hard uh, i build in all the like mental health and self-care time too um so i put up a calendar a couple of weeks ago on linkedin because people always ask there's a big three-hour chunk on Wednesday, it was like family time. It's on the Gold Coast in between workshops and my auntie and I went for a walk and then I strolled along the beach. Like middle of the day on a Wednesday, but in a 96 hour week, you know? Cause I'm like, I want to feel good and I love being by the ocean. And it was just awesome. And I had some new ideas and I messaged some old friends and yeah. Um, and maybe another tangible change has been just building in the non-negotiable side of like exercise too. And just saying, one of the big things I did was like I put a reoccurring calendar thing in every day at the same time, which was cool. And so it's that, um, you know, all those studies where they get people to, to donate blood in countries and you have to, oh, oh no, not donate blood, uh, donate your organs if something happens to you. And so they found that if people have to opt out of the program to donate their organs, the organ donation rate is through the roof, it's like 90% or whatever. But if you have to opt in, it's kind of a, like a morbid thing to think about. Like, yes, I would like to give my body parts away. Versus the other decision is it's scarcely an abundance mindset, yeah? So for me, when it's on the calendar every day, five days a week, whatever it is, if I, and I edit my calendar in lifetime, hence why I like Google, if I don't exercise or go to the gym or do yoga or whatever, I make myself delete it that day. I'm like, I know you didn't do that. But I'll also, I can drag and drop it. So if I don't go in the morning, I'm like, all right, I might just have to straight after work or if I might bump emails until later, but I'm doing it in the afternoon. But I know if I'm bumping emails to later, that's digging into family time. And so if my partner's like, all right, why are you doing emails at seven o'clock? I'm like, I didn't go to the gym. She's like, better get to the gym, boy. You know, so it's so having that baked in and then moving it and keeping myself honest, then I can look back and, and look at a week and be like, oh, yeah, I did. Like, it's like a little pat on the back, you yeah, know, because it can be lonely too. Yeah, so just sure. having something where you're like, all right, Josh, like you did what you said you would do. It's kind of like you make a little friend with yourself. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you just touched on what I wanted to ask next about um, about loneliness, I suppose. Mm. And so in that beginning stages, how was it? When Was it, was it just you? Was yep. there anyone else? What, what did it look like and how did it go? Yeah, so just me at the start. I It was a good stage for me because I, I was working with a couple of universities. I had a couple locked in, um, sort of like proof of concept, problem solution fit very much in that, 
the users of the product, the students of the product, which is like the tech kind of language, they really loved it. And then I just need to figure out, all right, how do I make this a sustainable kind of business and diversify and et cetera. So the loneliness was actually, so the alone time was really, really good for me. Um, and I'd figured out that I really like working solo. Um, so I think one of the things that I didn't ever reflect on as a student, I remember when I was in college, uh, I was really lucky when I was younger, which is maybe a curse in hindsight. I never got hangovers. I can drink as much as I wanted and I didn't get hangovers. I still did stupid stuff and like regret it, but like I never got hangovers. So, but I'd, I'd always had to work really hard for my grades. So I'd get up after a night of drinking with everyone and at 9am I'd start studying and I'd study till midday. And when I'd go for lunch is when everyone else would wake up. And I remember it wasn't until my second year of uni that I was talk. I kept talking about like studying in the morning or whatever. They were like, how are you studying? I'm like, I'm like, well, aren't, you guys are on your bedrooms too. Aren't you studying? They're like, no, we're sleeping. We're hungover. And I'm like, but how do you get, how do you keep getting good grades? They're like we study after. I'm like, but I need to study all day to get it. And so it was this moment where I was like, I realized like one, I was like, that was just weird and lucky. Two, I was like, I actually needed to work really hard to get those things. But three, like I really didn't mind putting in the work and doing it alone. Um, and then I partnered with people smarter than me and they really helped me in a lot of ways. So there's the duality there. But I liked kind of being in a room with the blinds shut and like acoustic guitar in the background, and just my head in problems. I, had, I liked head down, that was flow state. So, but now like designing workshops is very similar. Um, so I've got it tomorrow, for example, I've got a, got a workshop on and um, in the morning, I've got some time to set aside to sort of, to like modify it and tighten it up. And I just know it's like, get up, go to the gym, put the blinds down, put the music on, get a coffee. And I'm like in my space. And then in that I can be creative. So that creative time is a nice balance because when I'm on campus, I'm speaking, like I'm working with groups of students. So that's like the quite extroverted, outgoing work the room. And then when I'm back in my space, it can be a little bit more insular. Um, and then there's those transient types, like when my partner's cooking dinner or something and I'm reading a book uh, or vice versa sometimes. Um, we're sort of like in each other's space, but it's we're also in our own space at the same time. So I've, I've become more conscious of, okay, when I'm doing this activity, this is the environment I like. Um, but then, yeah, being flexible as that's going on, being in airports a lot of the time, being like, all right, Josh, you have to design a workshop in the departure lounge or on a bus the other day. I was like, all right, like, you know, but that's, yeah. And those working environments, how have you found them? Have you been able to do it successfully or are you a lot less productive or? Yeah, a lot better, but I think it, like anything, it's like the repetitions, right? Like, and I actually had to get this a lot when I was doing recruitment because a very small part of my job was running professional development workshops. Uh, I did quite a few of them because I loved it, but it was a really small part of my job, like an hour a week maybe, and one to two hours a week out of a 30 or 40 hour week, 40 hour week full-time job. And so what that question I asked myself at the time was like, huh, this is the part of the week I like the most. What if this became my whole job? Which is really interesting. And so, but because it was a small part and I had to do all these other parts, some parts I love, some parts I just, it wasn't as good as a fit of my personality. Um, I mean, my attitude let me down towards some of them as well. But because that was only a small part, I had to like do it on like found time. So when I was like traveling out to a university, I could justify well, why I'm on the tram, I'm gonna whip up a workshop. Uh, and I didn't wanna eat into the organization's time because that wasn't their priority, but I just happened to love it. So I remember going out to a uni once, and, like sitting on the tram, half an hour tram, it's like new PowerPoint, open. I'm, I'm about to deliver this thing. Um, so it was kind of like when 
writers and journalists talk about writing under pressure. It was like that. And I knew the concepts and I can like, now I do almost all my workshops like without slides at all. But at the time it was kind of like practicing that muscle of working to a deadline. Um, just like students, right? Like when you, your assignments due at midnight, somehow you get it done in three hours, but three Mondays ago, you could have paid them a million dollars. They'd never do it in three hours. It's like a, it's the lions chasing you. Sort yeah, of thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the work fills the time. Exactly. Yeah. What's that principle called? Yeah, I refer I to it all remember. the time. And I'm yeah. always like, there's that principle. That, yeah. yeah. There is a, there is a term. I'll figure it out. Just let you know. But yeah. yeah, that's exactly it. I find that all the time. Constantly. Work, work fills the time for sure. Yeah. Got to give yourself deadlines. Otherwise. Deadlines. Right. And that's, and that like, I learned that at uni too. Cause when I was like final year writing an honors thesis, 36 hours of work, president of a student club. I remember this one day where I had like, I bought a, I bought an office works paper calendar and it had like eight till eight was the scheduled time and something like that. And we, I put a line in between the hours and broke it into half an hour chunks. And when I put my uni calendar on this thing, I was like, I got heaps of time. And I was like, we all run around saying we're so busy, you know, I was like, I got heaps of time. Um, but I, and then as it started to get busier, I filled it in. But then I remember one day I had a half an hour slot and I was like, I'm going to use that half an hour for something. I think I did like tutorial questions like two days in advance or something, you know, pat on the back of that. But just doing it was like, I was like, oh, like, and I got them done in like 20 minutes. And the amount of times I like set a deadline and like I'll save the PowerPoint or send the email just as someone walks in the door, just as the phone rings. It's so funny with that, with that deadline, it's focus, right? It's the racehorse thing, cuts everything out. And so my logic was like, okay, I had a guy today even, he was like, oh, I've got, I've got three hours to study for this thing. Like, should I just study for three hours? I'm like, how long do you think it'll take you? It's like probably half an hour. I'm like, well, what if you did half an hour? And then watched half an hour of YouTube guilt-free. Yeah. What do you love to do? Watch YouTube. Great. But then what if you did another half an hour and then had another half an hour with your feet up yeah. and then did another half an hour, you know? And so it's like, you could do three times the work and have an hour and a half of sitting on your butt watching YouTube feeling great, guilt-free, and you have three times the outcome. And so it's this weird thing where I think like people don't want to compress and push the boundaries because like, oh, what if I, what if it takes 40 minutes? I'm like, sick, that's better than three hours. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And what's the worst that can happen? Like literally lose, nothing. Lose 10 minutes of YouTube time. Yeah. 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 So that's been a, and it's a big thing whenever I show like calendars and things to students, they always say, look, what happens if a task runs over? I'm like, like I, engineering said whatever you think it's going to cost double it so it's like if i'm designing a workshop like tomorrow morning i've got four hours set aside like i know it doesn't take me four hours to do a workshop but i've carved that into my day if i do it in one and a half i'll feel great and i can like go take a walk and have a coffee guilt-free like everything's going to get done just i think for and me with my clients it's the number one thing more than money is the time oh yeah like I can't, can't do that. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time to do that. Well, let's break it down. Let's see how you can do it. Oh yeah, I guess I can do it. Yeah. Just just give it a crack. Yeah. And even if you stop at the allocated time and you don't finish the rest, yeah. come back to it another time. Like, yeah. what's the worst? You weren't going to do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, That's such a good point. <laughs> so just do half an hour of it yeah, and yeah. see how far you get. Yeah. I was saying it only took me 20 minutes. I know. Like, <laughs> I know. I was trying to tell you that for two weeks. Yeah. 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 It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. It's, just, yeah. it's funny. I, I don't know if we riffed on this before. I saw this, I think, on LinkedIn the other day. I thought it was brilliant. Um, it's this huge pseudoscience, but you know the 80-20 principle? Yeah. Cool. 80% of the outcomes, 20% of the inputs. 
if you do the 80-20 principle on the 80-20 principle, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's going, like 64% from 4%. Yeah. So I'm like, and then if you do it one more time, it's like 51% for 0.8% or something like that, which is like call it 50% for 1%. So I've been like, all right, 80, 20 is all well and good. Yeah. 50 and one is totally different. What if, and I know this isn't how math works. What if you could get half the benefit from I'm reframing it as one hour of time, which is just the principle might as well be thrown out the window now. Yeah. need to derive it from somewhere. What if you could get half the benefit from one hour of time? And I've just been able to apply this to so many things. So I'm like, if you want to run a marathon, here's how to run a marathon, half a marathon in one hour. This will work for anyone. Go online with your credit card, Google it, buy a ticket, buy a bike, post on Facebook, message 10 friends, ask you, tell your mom that you're going to do it. Like post a selfie video on LinkedIn, message your boss and ask for a week off to train, sign up for a gym membership, get a personal trainer. You can do all of that in an hour. It'd cost you, but then you're like, all right, you got some skin in the game. You're going to do that marathon. Like, and I think I said, run a marathon. And then I said, get a bike. So that you can skip that step, right? Or run a triathlon, whatever, yeah, yeah. participate in a triathlon. But like that one hour of work of like, I'm going to get this happen. It's like when people do meal prep, they're like, and sometimes it takes longer, but they're like, all right, I'm going to shop. I'm going to get the healthy food in the house. I'm going to cook for two hours or whatever. And in those few hours, they're like, oh, I have no choice but to eat healthy for a whole week. You know, or that like relationship time of sitting down on the weekend with a partner and going like, all right, what are we going to do that's special and different this week? What are we going to do for date night? What could we cook together? Do you want to go and see a movie? Let's think about that holiday in three months. And like that one little hour is like, it, you can just have a real, you can get a lot of bang for your buck. And it's like, if you have like two or three of those hours each week for 50 weeks, like things start to change. Starts to add up. Yeah. So I've started going like, all right, where can I rob an hour from myself? Where can I take an hour? And like, what part of my life do I want to point that at? Like the other day, I was like, all right, physical fitness. Like, so I like went and messaged my brother who's a PT and was like, oh man, do you reckon you could like write me a program, whatever? He's like whipped it up. So I'm like, now I've got a program. Like now I've got to do it, right? So this morning, I like whipped out a bag I'm like, all right, like I asked for it. Here it is. So now I'm like, what, what else could I point that at for one of your 168 hours? Madness. And that same, that same principle, um, when you apply it to things outside of time, even clients, like yeah. I remember in the hotels, 1% of the clients in hotels was 50% of the revenue. Yeah. And I was really? like, no way. Wow. There and, might actually be something behind yeah. this. And I was like, wow, let's just get rid of the other 99%. The cost would go plummet, but you'd have half the revenue. Like you'd be so efficient. And then we would focus all of our attention to that 1% client who's one demographic pretty much. Yeah. Um, because at my last hotel was the university, right? The university and Melbourne Business School. So yeah. the same demographics, you have one client to look after pretty much. Yeah. You know, um, one lot of business coming in, a couple of coordinators in there. One. But I think that for a lot of people in business too, like, if you look at your business actually yeah. and you really look at it, you can pretty much do the same. It might, if your business isn't huge, yeah. it might not be one to 50, but yeah. like the 80, 20 principles definitely going to be in there somewhere. Yeah. And just like where, how better to spend that time that you've got. So true. And even like something that's like super practical. The other day I revisited business model canvas, like grassroots. So went down, I sat down because I had a weekend off, you know, what a concept. Sat down with a business model canvas with a cup of coffee for an hour. and was like, all right, nine segments 
if I could improve each of these segments even a little bit in any way, is there any way I could be better at this? And for each one, I was like, and some of them I had to think, not because I'm good at it necessarily, but like, it's actually not my strength. So I was like, all right, like I might have to learn about that. Uh, but for each of the segments after, you know, and I probably spent 45 minutes to an hour, I jotted down a couple of ideas each. I was like, okay, oh, I could get, that could be a new segment that I look at. Well, like here's a new way I could add value. Well, there's a channel that I could experiment with. And it's a partnership that, you know, I should tighten up or I should try to add a bit more value to. And so I went through it and then I walked out of it. I'm like, there's like 30 things I can do to improve the business. And so it was a nice like one hour to go, if I'm ever sitting around, you know, in the next couple of months where I'm like, I've got a few hours, what should I do? That's like implementation. I'm like, it's all there. That's all the ideation that I need. Then it's the execution. It's like, all right, if I find three hours, all right, I'm going to do that thing. Yeah, I'm going to roll it out, which is, but just having that one little hour to get it all out of the head and on the paper and then go, okay, now it's just waiting until I get a time. Great. Now I'm going to pick one, go for it. Yeah. And seven of them will do nothing. Five of them, will, five or more will fail, but then like two or three might be, you know. And like we just said, you only need 1%. To change your whole world, right? Um, all right, yeah, cool. So, um, as you, so now you started out and things like that, and you've, and you've got a few clients and you're working through. Um, did you have any setbacks along the way? Was there anything that you think maybe you screwed up or that you should have done better, or was there anything that held you back mm. in those beginning stages, or was there something yeah. along the journey that you've just made the wrong turn that you realize, man, I really should have done this instead? Yeah, I. I believe everything that held me back is like I held myself back and I think the, the guiding purpose of everything I'm doing with my business is to become a better human and learn more about myself. It's like long game. I'm going to work for 60 years. I've got a lot of time to try to do the right thing and add a lot of value long-term. I just need to keep trying to become a better human. So, but also not like beating myself up and like I just blatantly dropped the ball. I'm like, ah, oh, I shouldn't have I screwed up that meeting. I shouldn't have said that. Or like, oh, that wasn't sensitive or that was my ego speaking when someone said that uh, and it just like came out. Because um, people are funny too. They'll ask things, especially at the start. One of the top questions was like, "So, is this like a full time thing you do? You know, like, you're doing this full time?" Um, which is a funny question. I, I I wrestled with it a bit at the start of how to answer it. Um, the biggest thing for me that probably held me back was that I did was, I but it, it kind of didn't. It kind of didn't. It's hard to post game it. Like, like you'll never know the alternative. I guess that kind of concept. But I took a contract that took up a couple of days in my week uh, where I learned a lot. It was really cool, but it meant a couple of my days were sort of pegged. So I didn't have that freedom of calendar to be like, I'm out of town on a Thursday and a Friday, say. So because of that, I, I was sort of like pinned and I was fitting everything else in around it. It wasn't like the, and that sort of became the main dish that I filled everything in with versus saying like, no, campus is like as an entirety and what's best for this and the impact I want to have, that's my focus. And something is a part of that as long as it serves a greater mission. And I sort of went from the you know financial stability and also just the security to say, okay, that thing. And then I slowly chipped away at that contract until um, we were, yeah, parted ways, which was great. And then now I'm sort of off doing everything else. Um, but just the fear, I guess, at the start of, you know, of like get removing your largest contract. It's like, you never thought you'd get a contract like that. And then like, you're like, oh, actually this isn't a right fit. And just the, yeah, to, to sort of chip away at that slowly and then remove it and try to like keep face and keep relationships. And yeah, it's complicated. But I think it's, but for me, as long as I can be like honest and open and authentic and if like, if I screw something up, I'm like, that's 
honestly what I thought the best way was to handle that situation. Yeah. They're like, it wasn't the best. I'm like, it was the best I knew. And I'm like, I told you, and this is how it is. Um, which is funny. I'm just, a, I'm a really big believer that like from a karma perspective, if you just like give, 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 yeah. and some people are going to look into that giving as like, oh, there's another intent there. I'm like, there's not. Like, I feel if I give you something and you get some value out of it, that's awesome. And if in the future you want me to run a workshop, sweet. But like, here it is. There's no, there's no funnel. No? Which then might be a flaw too. So I guess that's kind of a challenge as well. Of I'm always kind of wrestling like, how much do I want to be a nice guy and come across as a nice guy? Versus saying like, does this make sense from a business perspective? So that separation from like, and what I suppose really helped me there is going, the impact I want to make of the vision of the business is this. And in order to get there, I need to do things that are in line with that. And sometimes that might be having a really hard conversation with someone that I just love to not have. It's like, nah, got to break through that as well. Because the fear there is like, well, maybe they won't like me or respect me or they'll, they'll call me a name. It's all the high school stuff, right? It's funny how it comes up. Yeah. Um, or they'll tell their friends that Josh isn't, you know? Yeah. And so just to be able to work through that has been really interesting. Yeah. And have you had, have you had any of that negativity? Like all those fears that you had, did you yeah. actually have anyone doing it? I had, it was really funny. I had a, um, I had a client at one uni who I, because I, the way it normally works is like a student will, will champion me up to a staff member and the staff member's like, hey, our students say that they're like, they're like read your content or watch your videos or listen to your podcast and they really like you and maybe you could help us. What would that look like? Um, and I, had, I remember I had a student at one uni who said um, it, they had to really campaign to bring me in because the staff member was like kind of hesitant. And then by the end of the workshop, the staff member sat in on it and they loved it. And what I realized was like that staff member was inundated with like, well, SEO you to success, you know, and they get all the marketing. They just got all this spammy stuff that was just, you know, not to read into their intentions, but they were just sick of being sold to. So when that wasn't my approach, I don't know, maybe it came across like it could might have come across sly. Like I was just like sneaking in. I'm like, no, I'm I'm trying to like just attract good things rather than sneaking in. And it was just read through that lens. And then by the end of the day, when they're like, oh wow, this is cool, and you like your attention's in the right place. Uh, it was almost, it was more fun to like win them over for them to come up after and be like, Hey, just so you know, like I wasn't sure about this, but now like I'm pretty, I'm a fan. I like that. Ah, that's awesome. Uh, kind of felt like I'd earned it rather than, yeah. And talking about that, that, I mean, for me coming from my background, that, that, I mean, that's sales, right? Like that's a full sales approach. Where, where did you, apart from some of your mentors early on, that sales process that you take, was that something you uh, deliberately learned and taught yourself or is it some, just a natural thing that you sort of discovered that you did? Yeah. So I think my, my intro into this whole world was through like podcasts and books. So a few things I learned from that were like with podcasts, they're free. Yeah. So I was like, huh, all the people who I listen to give out a bunch of free content and they share all their secrets and they talk about all the things they've screwed up and they tell everyone about their mental health and they, and that's but then they're not, most of the ones I really like aren't trying to sell anyone anything. They're just like, here it is. And so I saw that work for me and I was like, okay, if that works for me, like 
that'll probably work for other people as well. Like maybe they'll get a lot of value out of it. Um, and then with books, there were just so many principles that have worked for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years around leadership and everything ultimately coming back to like self-awareness, know thyself and, um, and just like adding value and servant leadership and, but also like being gritty and hard and not afraid to do the hard work and, um, and that battle with the ego and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I sort of saw it as more as a really interesting interplay between there's people who kind of vaguely know who I am. Maybe they'd find it interesting to watch me like try to build a business, you know? And like, if I'm going to like die on my own sword, then I'm going to die on my own sword in public, you know? Or like people are going to find out about it anyway. So um, it was interesting to, to share that in a way that was as authentic as I could be um, while keeping everyone sort of like, trust and keeping things anonymous and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. And so far, and so far it seems like people have kind of enjoyed it. Yeah. And even when people like, some people just love like cheerleading a bit too. Some people like on every post, there's a few people who are just like, this is awesome, Josh, keep going. Yeah. And it's kind of nice. I think of like the marathon, like someone like someone's giving out water, you know, and that's how they want to be involved. Yeah. But like, you know, it's, I think of like, if, CEOs of the biggest companies in the world or leaders in nonprofits, they probably still like, they still go to their kids soccer matches and cut up oranges. Yeah. So it's like, I've also got the humility to go just cause someone's cheering me on. Doesn't mean they're holding me up on a pedestal. They might be, they're very much like looking down and going like, keep going, buddy, like, just keep going. And so not to let them me think like 10 comments that I'll say, this is great. Go, oh, these 10 people think I'm great. It's like they might just be saying like, you don't even know you've got 10 more years ahead or 50 more years ahead. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but even just, it's funny that you ask that question. Like just even to go into the mindset of how do you think about people who support you and what different archetypes could they be playing? Um, this is great model I found, which I'll screw it up. But there's like these different sort of archetypes that quote unquote successful people have around them. And like one's like a champion where they'll go out and like, you know, champion you out to the world. Another's a coach, like pretty standard. Um, then there's like the peer kind of connections, um, an educator or a teacher to like teach you the skills. For me, a lot of that was like books and things. Um, but then someone to inspire you as well. I think I might be missing one, but that inspiration bit was really cool. Cause I was like, to see people who've, and some people get inspired by seeing someone who's struggled and come up. Others like seeing people who've like done something that's never been done before um, or people who've changed careers at 55 after raising a family and they're like, oh, my identity is a success is, my blueprint is I'm a family man and theirs is a family man, but then they did this. Like that's so inspirational. So that's why we see this like YouTube and podcast world exploding. It's like people are finding these different archetypes to, to teach or be in a peer group or coach them. And I think we all need different things at different times. All right. So now I guess that you've found some success mm. um, or actually maybe a better question is what, at which point along this journey did you think, okay, this is going to work or are you not even there yet? Yeah. Um, so it working to me is me being a better human. Yeah. So to be a better human, I think I'm hundred percent responsible for that. Yeah. I need to identify my flaws and be brave enough to confront them. So that's kind of my cycle and I'm more successful, the more aware I am of my flaws and the more I'm willing to confront them. And I think we've got a lot of, and I did it for a number of years, looking out at the world and blaming a political leader or this or that or whatever, where it's like, if each of us fixed us, because you can only control you. Like I can't change you. I could maybe influence you maybe ish. And then I could speak to people who are parents and you maybe influence your kids, like kinda, but like your kids, friends, 
like your kids, friends, cousins, no way in hell. So it's like, why do we think we can change societies in one foul swoop if you can't influence your kids, friends, parents, you know, <laughs> exactly. two degrees away, you can't do anything, but like a thousand strangers online, you're going to change their life. So for me, it's figuring out like who I am, looking at what I don't know, trying to find more of those answers. Um, and then just sticking to the values. Like one of the things with campus was like, okay, I wrote out eight values that I believe in. Yep. A leadership service and adding value first and giving more than I take and all that sort of stuff. So I come back to those values all the time. I'm like, am I doing this? Am I practicing what I'm preaching? Yep. Um, and that whole Gandhi topic of like, you're in sort of a, a state of oneness or alignment or whatever, when what you think, what you say, and what you do all line up. And so I, for a lot of my life, I blamed other people. Yep. So I'm like, even if I preach like, you know, I should take responsibility for my life, which I didn't at the time because I didn't have the language. I wasn't doing that. And so now I'm, I'm, I'm much closer, but also don't beat myself up when like, that's my ideal. This is what I believe in and I'm constantly crafting that. This is what I'm saying when I'm up in front of people, like I need to be living it. And then this is what I'm actually doing when no one's watching. And when it's like 6am, when I'm on a flight or when I've got a spare hour, um, and so if I can keep focusing inwards, keep trying to be like braver and more self-aware and learning, keep crafting those beliefs, saying authentically what I believe in and actually doing it. But given that in that belief system is all my values around what I think campus is and what we're trying to do. If I do what I believe, then like that's growing the business. I think it's really easy to go out there and just do a lot of stuff without going like, why are we even here? Why what? not in like a super esoteric way, but in a, like, why does our business exist? Where's the gap in the market? Who's our customer base? What's the change we want to make in them? Does our solution actually solve their problem? Is it priced in a way that it's competitive in the market? Problem solution fit, product market fit, like all these little things. And I think they all fall into place when you have really clear values and then you actually do those things. And then, with LinkedIn, it's like, I'll talk about them on a daily basis. I'm like, here's what I did today. Yeah. Here's what I screwed up today. Yeah. Like I did that LinkedIn live yesterday. I took a little blooper reel. That's why I stopped mind. I'm like, I'm going to share that. And be like, here's an example of a question we got asked when we were like, we don't know how to answer that. You know, like it was, so like yeah. we didn't know. Like, yeah. We don't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And so, okay, with that in mind, then where to next, where does, what is there an evolution to the business? Yeah. Um, so constantly yeah huge believer who knows how it works universe is a weird place when the student's ready the teacher appears hence why i'm focused on the student i can only control the student so i'm just like become a better student become a better student become a better student of everything always and then like all these people pop up who want to sort of like help and open doors and and then and putting that up against the reframe in my mind of like financial success to me, I was like, oh, that's big corporates and whatever. But then I was like, no, my impact is empowering students. And to do that, I need to be in a room. And for it to be free for students, it needs to be covered by the uni. So my reframe was like, oh, financial success to me means more students impacted in a room. And so with that, like we've well exceeded like what I thought was a pretty lofty sort of financial increase this year. Like just super proud of it. Just went it way over it. But it's not... I put a thing out on LinkedIn today about the number of students we've worked with. Like, I didn't, I haven't put a single post up and I'm in, I would love to talk to you about this. Like, I'm in two minds of like, 
I never want to be one of those people who says like, here's how you build a six-figure business because there's just then you put yourself in the same category as a whole bunch of sharks. Whereas it's like to build a business that like has been more financially successful than anything I've ever done, like it's just cool. Yeah. But like it means I can like shout lunch for the person I just had lunch with on the way to meet you. And when I get to the till, I wasn't like, ooh, who's paying? I was like, I got this, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and they were just like, they're like, oh, thanks. I'm like, yeah. You know? Yeah. And like it's it just those little moments. Yeah. But then knowing that that little moment came from working with more students to help them become more self-aware. I'm just like, there's a nice little circle there. Yeah. I think as long as I keep doing that, yeah, yeah things will keep like yeah. growing. Yeah, cool. I, I like that. I mean, for my partner and I, what we decided when we started our business was that, I mean, our, our goal, like you to be a better human, ours is kind of um, was to do what we want when we want. Yeah, love and that. To help as many other people do the same. Yeah. And that was that's our goal. So like the same thing is if you – get to a point if, if so for some of it's going to be financial yep. you're going to need some finances to be able to do what you want when yeah, you exactly. want but then being able to like you said being able to pay for lunch when you need to or just jumping on a plane to go to LA because there was something an opportunity there yeah. or there was people you wanted to go see or whatever um, and then being able to teach people the same thing and yeah. being able to help them get to that same place yeah. uh, and then like you say it's like a it's a, it's a full circle right like yeah. you become the teacher teacher students who then and then it keeps going around in circles. That's an interesting thing too, isn't it? Of like, the more you're willing to be a student, yeah. the more I think prepared and equipped you are to be a teacher. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And it's, I'm very conscious of like, who I take advice from. Uh, and I have this weird little trick if anyone ever runs workshops, like whenever I present to a group, I see myself sitting in the crowd. Yeah. I learned this from a psychology professor in Canada who, who said like, he always sees himself sitting in the crowd. Yeah. And so I've now done that and I've got this little thing where I'm like, okay, Josh, that's your seat. And so whatever I'm saying, I'm like, just keep in mind, buddy, like you don't do this all the time and you need to hear this as much as anyone. Uh, it just like keeps the feet on the ground a little bit. Um, that's awesome. I love that. about yeah. you. I love that. That's like your mission. It's so articulate too. Yeah. And it can encompass so many things like to do whatever you want. Like so many, it's not. And you know, at first a lot of people will think that it's financial, right? Yeah. Because, you know, to do what you want when you want, you need money to do yeah. that. But like, it's not that yeah. you can do, you can do anything like learning, being yeah. able to read a book whenever I want, just yeah. because that's what I want to do right now. Yeah. And I mean, what does a book cost? Like it's not about <laughs> money. Seth Godin has this great line where he's like, a book is a screaming bargain. If you learn one thing. Oh, like <laughs> absolutely. One thing. Yeah. You know, and like the legacy book that we that yeah. wrote out on a little bit, like there's so many gems oh, in there. So many. Yeah. And just, and like in that, like that core tenet of like better people make better all blacks. Six words. It's like, that's it. It's like, it, whether it's a team, a team, like a team, I always talk to students like a team. There is no such thing as a team. Yeah. Team doesn't exist. There's John, Bob and Sally. Point to the team. Where are the combination of our efforts? No, you're not. There's three humans or 12 humans or 1200 humans. Like this, I got this from big concept from Sapiens and Yuval. Yeah. Have you read that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So oh, good, right? Such and he's like, oh, these things that we have words for are made up. I'm like, that's it. So it's like, te we don't have teams. That blew my mind there. But yeah. So yeah. it's amazing because like workshops all the time, students will be like, or oh, staff will be like, we need to motivate the team. I'm like, point at the team. Yeah. Well, it's all of them. So it's these three people. Great. Well, what are they each motivated by? Yeah. Totally different things. Okay. How are you going to mo motivate a whole if the whole is made up of totally different things? It's not like a glass. It's not a piece of wood. Yeah. You're trying to carve and shape the humans. Yeah. And so that understanding of like, 
I believe I need to get better. I believe the world's going to change. I need to change. Then when I teach that to others, they're like, oh, I'm responsible. I'm like, I know. And what if you, you and you, Bob, John and Sally all thought you were responsible for yourselves and how you showed up and how you participated and how you listened? Oh, things might change. Exactly. We're in a relationship. Like, I believe I'm totally responsible and my partner believes she's totally responsible, not for me, but of every interaction that I have a part in. Then it's like, even if we only hit, you know, 80 and 90, 70 and 60, it's way better than that's your fault. That's your fault. I took the minutes last time. I took the trash out last week. You didn't fill out the form for the event. Like, I just think there's there's such an unlock there somewhere in going this more atomized version of leadership where if each person like led themselves and was honest and did that self-work, which I think is from what I understand with what you're doing is like, I think it sounds like it's really you're empowering people to discover that within themselves and to do like what, whatever you want, when you want. Like a big part of that is figuring out, well, like, all right, what do we want to do and who's holding us back? And it's like, and how do we work through that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Through all those mind games that they've put on themselves. Like people put their own barriers on them. Why why can't you do that? I love that the way you phrase that, like, this is why I think is why we get along so well. I love that the way you phrase that was the the mind, like barriers people put on themselves, not the barriers that society has imposed. No, no victim triangle. Someone told me this the other day. It was awesome. (laughs) Like, have you seen this? Oh my gosh. It's so good. Victim (laughs) triangle. You love this. It's like, I'm a victim. You're holding me back. You're the savior. So the challenge with, I think in a religious setting, I'm not particularly religious myself. It's like, there's a savior. And in anything that's like, it's the government's fault. It's this person's fault. It's like, they're the victim. They're the person. They're holding you down. You're the victim. And over here, it's like, come buy my evil. Come do my course and I will save you. First, I think the really good professional development is like, the answer's in you. And it's funny, actually. Oh, this was, I think this was in Legacy where they talk about Socrates know thyself. And then they go, actually, no, the first known example of that was in the hieroglyphics. And it said, know thyself and then you will know thy God. And so I think the concept, my whole thing is like that whole idea of like, like a God is like, I think it's the subconscious. I think it's what's already in us. So if you like know thyself and you know that God, it's like know thyself because that is it. Not to be confused. And that's why I think the ego is such a big part. Like that devilish part of it is like, that's a part of like, oh, I'm the well of wisdom. It's like, no, you're not. It's like, you're just dipping into it. And so that the more like I figured out about myself, I'm like, oh, there's all these people who are way better at everything that I do. Like if I can take a little of this, a little of that, a little of that, and then like give them to other people and then always give credit to where I got it from. It's like, I keep my feet on the ground. I keep growing. I keep giving. Like, good system. So far, as a, like that's not written in any business book. That's not taught in any business school. I didn't go to any business school, that's so that's probably why. Yeah, yeah, but like yeah. it works. Absolutely. So yeah, I'm just going to keep doing it. Do you think that... Um, Maybe a twofold question. Do you think that people, everyone can get to that place where they can self-teach and be their own leaders? Do you think that that's a world that can be? Or, and, and if so, or if yeah, not, yeah. which way? Yeah, I, practically I don't, think it ever, I don't think it will be, just for like lower large numbers kind of stuff. Um, but I think an overwhelming percent of people, I think we will see trends towards that. I think we're seeing that in terms of like 
rise of sort of entrepreneurship, people wanting to work for themselves, people like challenging the status quo sort of stuff. Um, I think people are increasingly going to get frustrated with this whole left-right thing, this men-women thing, this you, us and them, very cautious, conscious of anything that says like, oh, that group did it to this group. Like, who's the group? Who's the individual who did it to the person? So-and-so is holding me back. What is their name? Let's you and I go speak with them and tell them to play nice with the boys and girls, you know? Like, who is this group? And, like, like heterosexual white male who grew up in Australia. So, like, I haven't had it super tough, right? I get that, 100% get that. But I get that and I think if I use that in a way that says, I don't know the answers, tell me the answers, help me figure it out for young men or help me figure it out for women in science and engineering groups that get to do a lot of great work with. Well, let's figure it out for first-in-family students to university who didn't have parents at uni. Like, if I can just go in and go, look, guys, like, I, I, might, I don't need to be that inspirational archetype for you. I'm not saying oh, I came from the rags and riches and, you know, I'm just like, I just read a couple of hundred books and there's some good stuff in there and I've, like, made this PowerPoint and I would love to teach you and you're in the room. Would you like to learn it? I'm like, I can just be that educator. If you want to go and learn from Branson or Oprah or Ellen or, you know, Wendy who lives down the road who's just worked in the local primary school for 38 years and has just raised three generations of kids, like, satisfy those archetypes wherever you satisfy them. But in this educational archetype, like, I think I've got some stuff that can help. And if we're willing to, like, have some uncomfortable conversations – Try these tools on for size. The door's there. If you're done in an hour, forget all about me. But if it helps, like, awesome. And just knowing that I might not have an answer for everyone, but if I can help a few people along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you think that <clears throat> um, Do you think that there's a need for more of this earlier on in life? 100%. So just spent a week in the U.S. Um, at uh, Anthony Robbins Foundation throws a Global Youth Leadership Summit. I'll, if, depending on where you are in the world, it'd be sick for you to come along sometime yeah, in the future. Sure. Um, not that I speak on behalf of the foundation. No, <laughs> crystal clear. Uh, just that there's an open call for captains, people to come in, yeah. and it's 14 to 17 year olds primarily. 350 kids, 30 countries around the world. And I went and I flew to, it's funny you mentioned LA, I flew over to LA and down to San Diego and I volunteered for nine days because that's like, I'm preaching. So I went over there for nine days and amazing things have come of it, obviously. But 14 to 17 year olds sitting there and doing, and they're like plugged from like 8 or 9 a.m. until 8 or 9 at night, then a debrief, then up at 6 to exercise. Like, and these kids are doing like goal setting and limiting beliefs. And like one of them messaged, we have a little Instagram group chat for all the boys who are in our home group. One of them messaged the other day, this, this message, and he was like, I've decided if nothing else, I'm not going to bully anyone this year. He's just like, other people are doing it and I've done it and I'm not going to do it. And just like, like yeah. you know, just that Huge. line in the sand of like to have the confidence to like, and in just this, this small group of boys, some people are like, oh, so you should never have been bullying. Yeah, awesome. But like if one less person bullies, if one less person, yeah. you know, yeah. and then like that to the whole group, all the boys in there are just like love hearts, love hearts, love hearts. Like, yeah, that's the way, you know? Yeah. And just those little changes, like imagine if I had that at 14 or 15 and then still five years to screw everything up. But like just the different learnings along the way. Um, and like to give credit where credit's due, there's heaps of organizations in Australia um, who are out working in schools and primary schools and high schools and starting to bring in mental health and emotional intelligence and leadership um, and starting to really play in that space, uh, which is awesome. Um, 
I like to think I would have loved it when I was a kid. You know, yeah, you're just like, oh, I would have like, yeah, taken that up 100%. I wrote a list a while back of the, the, I think it was like 10 things I wish I knew when I was 14. And just like, cool. you know, and, and, and that sort of inspired a lot of what I wanted. Like, obviously, I'm going back to New Zealand and one of the big things I've started doing is connecting with a bunch of principals yeah. in Auckland. Amazing. Because I think to myself, like, these kids don't learn this stuff. No. Like, what if we could shave 15 years off that, you know, yeah. and get it then? Yeah. I mean, I would have been – I mean, no, I have no regrets for where my life is, yeah. but – Imagine if I had have known what I knew now, even at 20. Yeah. And that's, I think that's where you can be really careful around those archetypes is going like, you, you don't need the narrative of like, I, if only I knew this, my life would be different. I think it's great to go, because when I used to work in like educational equality, we always like people go, yeah, but I didn't come from a disadvantaged background, you know, low socioeconomic community. I'm like, good. Like that's our goal is for like no one to have to go through that. Yeah. So it's like, if you came from a, a great background whoever you define that if you're willing to go back or invest and also feel out of your comfort zone like that's amazing like you don't need the narrative to say to earn your spot there's a girl i met uh, a couple of years ago and she was working with kpmg and she just started a business about mentoring and the line she said with me always stuck with me and it was like she was wondering when she'd have enough experience to give back and she got in she got in kpmg she did the grad role she got a promotion and after the first promotion she's like now i can start giving back but for her, it was like she felt totally uncomfortable. She's like, who am I, a 22-year-old girl who's been working for one year to go and give advice to 16-year-olds? And she was like, well, my grandfather used to say, I never got to meet. He used to say, like, if not you, then who? Who's going to do it? If you walk past that, like, can on the ground, like, if you're not picking it up, who is? You know, all that bystander effect stuff. It's like, if you're not going to say something, like, who's going to do it? It doesn't mean you go to social media and you announce it to the world. But, like, sometimes that one-on-one, -on -one, like, hey, Josh, Stan, you said this thing. I don't know how I feel about it. I'd love to talk to you about it. Yeah. Rather than, like, you're wrong for saying or doing this. It's like, okay, well, and if someone gets their back up. Yeah. It's been like, I'd love to understand. Like, I had a conversation the other day, I need to go on yet another tangent, with a guy who had fundamentally different belief systems to me. Yeah. And I just sat down. I was like, and I just said to him, like, mate, I think we've got fundamentally different belief systems, but I'm so curious. And then we just sat down and had this conversation and it was like really amazing. Yeah. And I think like we both kind of got through to each other a little bit, yeah. but also like I was changed by that conversation. And so after that, I was like, I want to have more and more of those where I still don't know what I don't know. Yeah. I want to, yeah, I want that to kind of crack open. Well, not even crack open, maybe it's a bad metaphor, but like kind of bloom a little bit more to go, there's more and more and more and more and more that I could learn. Yeah. Um, yeah, I talk about I've been talking about that a lot lately as well. That like whatever I believe in and, and think about, I'm gonna try find things that are different. I'm gonna try find yeah. opposing views to challenge it. Because I mean, I guess where that process started is when I read Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Yeah. And I was like, and obviously they talk about that in a maybe a different sense to a certain extent, but like just that idea of everything that I do, if I keep reading all the same books, yeah that same confirmation bias on learning all the same things and leading me down this one path and I keep reading all these same things yeah. um, will just narrow that worldview of mine. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's the same, something I've been thinking about as well. What I've been doing actually is just trying to read books or listen to podcasts or let's read, uh, watch YouTube clips. Yeah. That's sort of almost the opposite yeah. of what my worldview is at the moment. It's been really interesting. Yeah. It's, it pushes the boundaries a lot. Yeah. 
there's a gem. Have you um, Doing Good Better by Will McCaskill? You ever heard of that? Right, a youngest yeah. tenure professor at Oxford. Basically, another way to look at like the world of like charity and stuff. It talks about it through like an effective altruism lens, organization, whatever. That was a big one for me. Someone mentioned it. I was like, oh, that sounds up my alley. And like half of it I kind of agreed with. And the other half I was like, no, how could you look at the world that way? But it was like a constant wrestle. As a, that was a good one for me. So if you get any of those in the future or in the past that I don't know about, yeah. please tell me. So yeah, I like for sure. love that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Sweet. All right. Well, um, I guess that's about everything I've got for you. Cool. Um, is there anything, I guess, a lasting comment that or if you could tell people right now where your headspace is, yeah. like what's that front of mind thing, one piece of advice or at least something that you're thinking about now, what is it? What's that one topic that you're sort of, that's at front of mind at the moment that's helping you be a better human? Yeah. Mm, it's a really good question. Uh, first way that came to mind for me was humility and then empathy. So empathy is really cool. I think really in the entrepreneurship and like the business space, that's just my view of it. It's like you're a leader when you help other people, when you serve others. But then the humility to say like, I don't know what I don't know and there's no way I could have ever got here alone. Like my quote in my high school yearbook was the Isaac Newton, if you see further than others, it's because you stood on the shoulders of giants. And so I like to remind myself of that as frequently as I can. I'm going like, hey, lots of people helped me to get here. And like, if I can help some other people, that's great. But, and maybe the, the practical answer to that is like finding someone that helped you, sending them a message of thanks, like texting one person, or making one phone call or taking that hour out of your week to your 50% might be reigniting that relationship. And so for me, that's where I've sort of gone, okay, where could I have a coffee? Where could I take someone out for lunch? Um, just to remember like before I could like be on podcasts and talk about this stuff and like having actually kind of lived it now, um, like I had friends who just would loan me 50 bucks when I like had no money, you know? And so like, you had to take them out for lunch? Be like, don't worry, man. Like I got this one. Like, Thanks, man. You know, it's kind of like, cool. <laughs> yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah, cool. <laughs> All right. Cheers, man. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Cool, man. It's awesome. I mean, we could sit here all day. It's probably been about an hour and a half by now. Yeah, but yeah it's funny. Yeah. We'll see where I get to the end. Yeah, we'll see how we go. If you get to the end, you've got $1,000. So yeah, let us know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Thank you very much. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, cheers.